Support for WERU comes from Village Soup, the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com. The time is 3.59, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. And this is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture for Wednesday, March 22nd, 2017. I'm Amy Brown. While many of us have been distracted by events in D.C., there's been a lot happening in Augusta. Today we bring you to a few of the public hearings the Maine Legislature held this week, starting with the Committee on Taxation. Monday, they considered several bills that would overturn the results of Question 2 on Maine's ballot in November, which was approved by voters. By passing Question 2, voters approved a 3% surcharge on household income over $200,000 a year, with a revenue earmarked to fund public education. Here are a few of the arguments made at Monday's public hearing for and against the slew of bills that would overturn those results. Senator Dow, Representative Tipping, and members of the Committee on Taxation, my name is Linda Gifford. I am a resident of Reedfield. I have an office in Augusta, and I am legal counsel to the Maine Association of Realtors. Um, as our president told you, we have 5,000 members. They're involved in residential and commercial transactions around the state. Uh, we also, our membership includes affiliate members. So we have bankers and closing agents and title companies. We have appraisers and building inspectors and surveyors who are all members of the association. Uh, we are very opposed to the 3% surcharge, and we urge you to repeal its passage. So we believe while it was very well intended in its effort to um, supplement and make whole the education funding, um, and that's a laudable goal. No question we need skilled and, and educated job uh, people for jobs in Maine. There is an unintended consequence, and it is going to drive people and businesses from the state as they react to an almost 50% tax increase for their tax rate, making Maine, for all intents and purposes, the highest tax state in the country. And let me give you two real examples um, from Maine, because that's what we've been told over and over again, is people want real stories. We don't want people saying things might happen. They want real stories. And then I've just got one story that has nothing to do with Maine, but I thought it was kind of interesting when I was doing some research over the weekend. So the first story came to me because my dad just refinanced his reverse mortgage, and the loan officer was lamenting to me as the closing agent for the transaction. He was lamenting to me the fact that he has three children. Two couldn't find jobs in Maine, so they're out of state. And one is here with his wife and two grandchildren. Um, they live in the Midcoast area. The son, Chris, uh, has an internet-based business. He can live anywhere with that business. He's not like some people are tied to Maine. They're lobstermen, they're loggers, they have to be here. He can work anywhere in the United States of America. His wife works for a national company. She flies for her business. She travels all the time. She just needs to be near an airport. They have decided to move to North Carolina and they have uh, bought a home and they're relocating there the first week of April. So they're gone. Two young professionals with children here in the state of Maine doing well but having a portable business, which is what one of the prior speakers said, is the people who do well oftentimes have flexibility in their business plans. They can move around. That's one story. The other story is a, a family, very successful family, uh, living in Portland. 
I know they do charitable work because I went to a charity event in their lovely home up in the West End. They moved here from California. They escaped California's high tax rate. They moved here nine years ago. They have their primary residence in Portland. They have a summer home in Booth Bay. They own two businesses in the state of Maine. They also are leaving the state. They said that this was the last straw. They're gone. They're going to Colorado. It has a 5% flat tax rate. Um, her family is from there, and they will be selling. They have both of their homes listed with members of mine. Um, they're moving their businesses because they're telecommunications businesses. They're moving their to Colorado. So they will be leaving. And then the final thing that I wanted to say to you, just because I thought it was really interesting, is Los Angeles Lakers. Here we are, March Madness. So basketball. Los Angeles Lakers um, used to be a great team. And they aren't so great anymore, any of you who follow professional basketball. They're pretty lousy, in fact. Michael Jordan bought that team, and he has lamented publicly that because of California's tax rate, he cannot attract the players that he needs to rebuild that team. Is that what we're going to be doing in Maine? I mean, granted, we don't have any of these you know, high-profile teams, but if we can't attract the professionals, the engineers, the doctors to Maine um, because of our tax rate, it has the same effect. It makes for a lousy result. I'd be happy to answer any okay, questions. Thank you. Senator Dow, Representative Tipping, and honorable members of the Joint Standing Committee on Taxation. My name is Sarah Austin. I am a policy analyst with the Maine Center for Economic Policy, and I'm here to testify against the bills before you, um, all of which undermine the will of Maine voters and the fairness of Maine's tax system. Before voters passed question two, our state and local tax system asked less of the wealthy than it did of low and middle income Mainers. Successive tax cuts that predominantly benefited wealthy Mainers resulted in the wealthiest one percent receiving an average tax cut of four thousand um, dollars compared to their 2012 tax law these expensive tax cuts pit priorities like health care and education against one another and shifted over a billion dollars in consecutive uh, property tax increases onto towns um, because of the state's failure to uphold the 2004 voter referendum um, to fully fund education at 55 percent <laughs> So question two is now law. Uh, Maine has a bona fide pass to fully funding education in 2018, and the wealthiest 1% of Maine households still pay a lower effective tax rate than the middle 75% of Maine families. Walking back the surcharge in any way will serve to further privilege wealthy Mainers, shift more costs onto low and middle income families, and jeopardize schools. However, some lawmakers and special interest groups seem to advocate for just that. The governor proposed repeal of question two in his budget, and his administration presented baseless analysis to this committee claiming that a mass exodus of wealthy will occur if the tax code requires the top 1% to pay just below what most other Mainers pay in an effective tax rate. The administration's analysis provides no basis for their assumptions, and their assumptions contradict the evidence. The large majority of peer-reviewed research finds that state tax migration is statistically and economically insignificant. Representatives of the business community are here to claim this law will cause hardship for small businesses, but a look at the data shows that personal income taxes of pastor entities make up only 4.5% of state and local revenue collected from businesses in our state. Property taxes, on the other hand, make up 54.8% of state and local revenue collected, the highest proportion in the country. 
State cuts to revenue sharing and general assistance and failure to fully fund the state's share of education costs have shifted more costs onto local property taxpayers, both businesses and families. In fact, main property taxpayers, uh, excuse me, main property taxes are nearing historic highs, and most businesses stand to gain from less pressure on local property taxes thanks to the education tax. Almost all businesses have some property tax cost, if that's through a storefront, a home office, or a big equipment, and owe property taxes each year regardless of the size of their profits. However, nationally, only about 10% of pass-throughs report taxable income over $200,000. And most businesses that do aren't your typical small business. The vast majority of partnership income in this group comes from lawyers and finance firms. Voters recognize the need to stop the shift to property taxpayers. The pressure to raise property taxes eases when the state fully funds its share of education. Repealing the education tax will have a huge tax cut for the wealthiest mainers and continue the tax shift onto property taxpayers, resulting in a tax system that asks the least of the wealthiest mainers and businesses. I urge this committee to respect the will of Maine voters, protect Maine's ability to invest in our future by fulfilling our commitment to public education, and stop the trend of tax cuts for the wealthy at the expense of families and communities. I urge the committee to reject these bills. Those were just two of the people who testified Monday before the Committee on Taxation in Augusta against and for the bills that would overturn the voter-approved question two on last November's ballot. Earlier today, the Legislature's Committee on State and Local Government held a public hearing on LD882, an act prohibiting public entities from contracting with and investing in companies that boycott the State of Israel. The bill targets the Boycott, Divest, and Sanctions, or BDS, movement that successfully applied financial pressure to help end apartheid in South Africa and has in recent years been focused on the government of Israel's uh, practices towards Palestine. That takes us to LD882, an act prohibiting public entities from contracting with and investing in companies that boycott the state of Israel. And we have with us, oh my goodness, we got the big shot here today, Senator Mason. Come on, start me off that way. Senator Mason, welcome, Senator. Thank you. Pleased to have you here. Well, I am pleased to be here. Just finished up our public hearings in VLA, and I can't think of a better place to be than in front of you all today. How's that for flattery? Hopefully after you're done, you'll still be pleased. We'll see. We'll see. Thank you, Senator Davis, Representative Martin, and the always lovely Senator DeChambeau. He says it's wet. I am pleased to be in front of you today uh, to present LD882. This bill is very simple. It prohibits any public entity, including the state and any of its agencies or subdivisions from boycotting the state of Israel. The United States has historically been an avid supporter of the state of Israel, and this bill is meant to reiterate that support. The genesis of this bill is that there has been a movement led by an organization as the, uh, known as the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions Movement, otherwise known as the BDS Movement, to boycott products produced in Israel and companies associated with Israel. The boycott of entities and individuals on the basis of their national origin is nothing short of discrimination. Similar legislation to the, similar legislation to the bill before you today has been passed in both South Carolina and Illinois and also 14 other states as of the hearing of this bill. And I hope that Maine will join that list. Um, I would note 
that uh, there are two individuals that will offer testimony today, either by written form or uh, in person. Zach Shartiag is with the Stand With Us organization, which is spearheading a movement across the country, as well as uh, uh, Joseph Sabag, which is from the is he is from the Israel Allies Foundation. I do not know if his testimony is included in your folder. If it is not, then um, we will provide it to the clerk to be distributed. And I would just add on a personal note, as somebody who has traveled to the Middle East a couple of times and been a guest at the Knesset, I can tell you that Israel uh, is a state uh, completely unique to itself and that very much loves the United States. Um, the, this country is under constant assault, and I don't think that uh, what the BDS movement intends to do is helpful to our relationship with them. It also is not helpful to the only democracy in the Middle East. So uh, with that, I would be subject to your questions, and I thank you for your time. Thank you, Senator. Questions for the Senator? Representative Gregan. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you for doing this bill. Um, I just thank you. Wanna, and I, um, I also I have friends that served in the IDF and uh, friends in Israel, and I think it's a beautiful country. Um, could you tell me what the intentions are of the people that want to boycott this? I cannot speak for them, um, but I can tell you that you will probably hear some opposition to this bill today in regards to some First Amendment rights. I can tell you that in the 16 other states that it has passed, that issue has not been a problem. So um, I would respectfully disagree with those who might come before you after I speak. Thank you. Others? Anyone? Seeing none, are you still pleased very, to be here? Good. Very pleased. Uh, and we will get you the testimony for the Israel Allies Foundation. I and, believe um, we have it. Uh, I think it was just passed out. Good. And um, the gentleman, uh, Zach, who is supposed to come and speak, uh, he's stuck in some traffic right now, so he might be providing his testimony written. Thank you. Thank you. Are there, are there any other co-sponsors here that would like to speak to this? I believe you had some co-sponsors. Oh, yes. I'm one of them. Anyone else? Any co-sponsors? Seeing none. Anyone wishing to speak in favor of this legislation? Seeing nobody. Anyone wishing to speak in opposition to this legislation? Come right up, ma'am. Good morning. Um, I really was not prepared to have to even look at this bill. I came to speak on behalf of another bill, but when I saw on the wall that you all were considering this piece of legislation today, um, I felt unconscious that I had to address it. My name is Ridgely Fuller, and I'm from Belfast. Um, when I was a young child, uh, my father worked for the government, and we lived in Holland. Uh, we lived in a house where Jewish refugees were hidden in the top of the garage. Um, it became, this issue became very much a part of my soul and the notion of justice in the world has become very much of my soul, which is part of why I'm here to speak on another issue as well. Um, I let it drop as I went about my life and raising my kids. And when I started hearing more and more in the international press about what was happening in Israel and the Palestinian area, I, I couldn't believe it based on what my own understanding was of what had happened during World War II. And so when my children were grown up, I decided to go and see for myself, because I'm a cynic and I don't believe much of what I read. Um, 
I, as a result of my experiences in Israel and in Palestine, just as an international volunteer, part of his part of an international women's peace service, doing accompaniment work, um, as well as with many Israeli peace activists, um, one being Mashom Watch, women who Israeli women who keep check on the checkpoints, the hundreds of checkpoints that was stifling the Palestinian areas. Um, I became to be um, certainly a strong advocate of international law and the notion that human rights should apply to everybody in the world. The, the, the boycott, divestment, and uh, sanction strategy is one that is known throughout the world. It is one that, is, that we have, it's a nonviolent strategy that we knew in South Africa, and it successfully brought apartheid to the end in South Africa, and we used it in our own country during the civil rights movement. It, it brought civil rights to many, many, many of our own citizens. This is a nonviolent strategy. It is a First Amendment right that people are, are allowed to call for the boycott, divestment, and sanctions of folks or entities that they feel like are not complying with international law. There, and I was not prepared to speak on this. Um, there, the Palestinians who are calling uh, for this this um, legislation or for this effort have realized how successful it's been in other countries, and it has their four <laughs> they have four requirements, and one is that Israel complies with international law in their treatment of the Palestinians and of the Palestinian refugees throughout the world. The United Nations has just once again taken up this issue of Israel, and I think much of the world is. Um, is very, very concerned not only about what is happening in Israel and Palestine, but the ramifications for that policy on people throughout the world. I'm, I'd be happy to bring more information to your work session. I'd be way more prepared. Um, I'm probably one resident in Maine who spent among the most time in that area. Thank, Thank you. you. Questions from the committee? Anyone? Thank you very much Thank for your you. testimony. Anyone else wishing to speak against this legislation? Come right up, ma'am. Good morning, Good morning. Uh, Senator Davis, Representative Martin, and members of the Joint Standing Committee on State and Local Government. My name is Sandy Matheson, and I'm the Executive Director of the Maine Public Employees Retirement System. Maine PERS administers plans providing retirement and related benefits for state employees, teachers, legislators, judges, and employees of participating local districts. We have approximately 51,000 active members and 43,000 retirees and beneficiaries. The benefit payments we administer are funded through a combination of employer contributions, employee contributions, and investment returns. We presently manage and invest approximately $13 billion in order to pay current and future benefits to our members. We are testifying partly against LD882 because of the effect it would have on our ability to satisfy our fiduciary obligations to our members. Article 9, Section 18 of the Maine Constitution 
requires us to invest for the exclusive purpose of providing retirement and related benefits to our members and prohibits the use of retirement system funds for other purposes. This duty applies not just to Maine PERS, but also to the legislature and other parts of state government. LD882 prohibits public entities from doing certain things related to boycotts of Israel. The title of the bill suggests that the ban extends to investing companies that boycott Israel, but the body of the bill and the summary make no mention of investments. The bill does clearly prohibit public entities from entering into a contract unless it includes a written certification that the other party is not and will not boycott Israel. Many of the investments made by Maine PERS are made through contracts with private investment fund managers who then invest the money on behalf of Maine PERS and other institutional investors. These contracts are very important to achieving the returns needed to fund the retirement trust. When we enter into these contracts, we do so alongside with many other institutional investors, such as other state pension funds or private endowments. With this diversity of interests and the ability to raise capital from investors other than Maine PERS, at least some of our managers will refuse to provide certification in, our, in those contracting documents. Applying this requirement to our investments would preclude our ability to participate in funds or some of the funds that are in the best financial interests of our members. If the bill were to pass in its current form, it would require Maine PERS to make investment <coughs> decisions on the basis of whether the investment would advance a particular public policy support of Israel rather than solely on the financial merits. This appears to be contrary to the main constitution and to the best interest of our members as pension beneficiaries. In all of these cases, when we face this, we always suggest that the committee confer or request the attorney general opinion on that provision. So we recommend that the legislature not pass LD882 in its current form and that any amendment make clear that the prohibition does not apply to investments made by Maine PERS. And thank you for considering our testimony. Thank you. Questions? Anyone? I have one. Um, are there any prohibitions now in effect regarding the investments by the Maine? No. There are not. I seem to remember a number of years ago, there was a bill Sudan. In, in the Sudan, yes. Mm -hmm. There uh, was. Did that pass? Uh, I don't remember. It passed. Um, we strongly recommend never doing that. It did pass. It does take, and that, that's not really the issue. It does take some additional work. It's pretty complex with, our, with the size of our fund to do that. But... The bottom line is our task is to invest for the best interest of our members. Um, it's a problem with the Constitution. So the, AG, the AG's office would um, weigh in with you. If I remember correctly, it prohibited the retirement system from investing in companies that did business with the Sudan. 
I, you know, I believe so. It was before my time, yeah, okay. and I'm not sure. I'm not really familiar with uh, the that specifics. That isn't being followed it. now. It's sunsetted out. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank Anyone you. Anyone else wishing to speak in opposition to this uh, legislation? Seeing none. Anyone wishing to speak neither for nor against this legislation? Seeing none, we will close the public hearing, and the work session will be next week, one week from today. Thank you very much, and we hope to see you here, Senator. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown. That was a public hearing on LD882, an act prohibiting public entities from contracting with and investing in companies that boycott the state of Israel. It was held earlier today uh, before the legislature's Committee on State and Local Government. The committee also heard from supporters of a bill that would replace Columbus Day with an Indigenous Peoples holiday here in the state. I think there's been a few folks waiting for this. An stab, an act, L- LD 914, an act to establish Indigenous People's Day. And presenting this to us today is Representative Hammond. I hope I, spelled, I, hope I pronounced that right. You did, like Hammond Lumber. Hammond yeah. of South Portland. Welcome, Representative, no and uh, look forward to hearing from you. Go ahead. Okay. <clears throat> Before I start i want to apologize in advance i broke a rib last weekend uh so i keep losing my breath uh so if i stop to catch my breath it's not me getting emotional or trying to be dramatic or anything i just legitimately in pain just give me a minute hopefully i'll be okay uh senator davis representative martin members of the joint standing committee on state and local government i'm representative scott hammond i present represent house district 32 south portland cape elizabeth Today I'm here to present LD 914, an act to establish Indigenous Peoples Day, a bill that reimagines Columbus Day as an opportunity to celebrate the heritage of our Indigenous people. Today there are many thousands of Native Americans living in Maine. They're descendants of the people who called Maine soil home long before Europeans came to these shores. This was their hunting land. These were their fishing waters. Yet we all know the sad chapter in the prologue the story of America's founding when everything changed after European contact. However, today I want to focus not on past atrocities, well documented by historians, but rather on the reasons why we should celebrate Maine's indigenous people, their culture and traditions and languages, the beautiful centuries-old heritage that persists to this day. Once passed, LD 914 will establish the second Monday in October as Indigenous Peoples Day in Maine. This day will provide an opportunity to honor our indigenous people and reflect upon what their contribution means to our state's history. This bill displaces Columbus Day. Christopher Columbus is a historical figure we learn about from grade school. 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. He discovered America, but did he? Surrounding this holiday and the legend of its namesake, were raised on the myths that simplify and sometimes distort the history of European origins in North America. To be clear, Christopher Columbus Columbus was a brilliant explorer, someone who's credited with so many notable global achievements in trade. He established the Columbian Exchange, and his voyages led to the eventual, eventual introduction of chocolate to the rest of the world. He brought tomatoes to Europe, and with it, tomato sauce to previously sauceless pizza. His real contributions were great. 
As was written in the Bangor Daily News, Columbus was one of a handful of global historic individuals who changed our world for good, for ill, and forever. Christopher Columbus's legacy as an explorer is irrefutable. But at the end of the day, we truly celebrate him for the folklore and whitewashed history that his legend is built upon. Yet every year, on the second Monday in October, we memorialize this myth and these stories with a state holiday. Let's instead take this day to honor our indigenous people, their culture, their sacrifice, and their contribution to the American story. Let's honor the people whose heritage is woven into our national fabric like the thread that fastens the stars and stripes to our flag. Their ancestors hunted in northern Maine long before it was known as North Maine Woods. They fished the Allagash. They harvested crops from this soil. They raised children, buried loved ones, created art, built community. They called this earth their home because it was their home. And it's still home for thousands and thousands of Mainers who are their descendants. Isn't it time we celebrate the people whose lineage was interrupted by European contact and dedicate one day a year to honor them? The history of Maine's indigenous people, their struggle, their resiliency, their culture and customs, their history is worth memorializing. Indigenous People's Day will be a holiday where all Mainers can take the opportunity to pause and reflect on the context of our own legacy of immigration, whether our ancestors came over on the Mayflower in 1620 or on an airplane within this generation, we all come from families of immigrants. Mine immigrated from Ireland to Boston three generations ago and on the other side from Canada to Livermore Falls. We're all immigrants, except for our indigenous people. We ought to honor them and show our respect for their contributions and sacrifices by recognizing the second Monday in October as Indigenous Peoples Day. Thank you. I'm happy to take questions. Thank you, Representative Hammond. Questions? Representative Madigan. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I, I think I was just noticing in the uh, statute changes that you recommend on uh, Section 5, subparagraph 2, it says very specifically a bit what the definition of business day means any day other than Saturday, Sunday, or, or the following national holidays. It appears that you simply crossed out Columbus and included indigenous people, but it's still under that definition of um, national holiday. I think that Columbus Day is the national holiday, so I think you'd have to do some amending there to... Uh, so maybe that, a, a new section that... Well, I don't know how we could simply cross out Columbus Day from a definition which includes national holidays. You may have to have a separate sentence, you know, eliminating that, but calling Indigenous People's Day something different than a national holiday until the federal government deals with that. Thank you. Appreciate you pointing that out. I'll work with the analyst for the work session. Others? Anyone? Thank you, Representative Hammond. Thank you. Are there any co-sponsors here that wish to speak to this? Anyone or other legislators? Seeing none. Those who wish to speak in favor? Anyone wishing to speak in favor of this legislation? Supporting this legislation? Come right up, ma'am. You're welcome. Welcome. Senator Davis, Representative Martin, members of the Joint Standing Committee on State and Local Government, 
My name is Kathy Cyrus, and I speak on behalf of the Midcoast Citizens for Indigenous Peoples Day in Maine to express our support for LD914, an act to establish Indigenous Peoples Day. I believe you have our testimony in your file. Thank you for this opportunity to talk with you about the importance of moving beyond Columbus Day to the recognition and celebration of Maine's native peoples. An Indigenous Peoples Day would reimagine Columbus Day. It would change a celebration of colonialism into an opportunity to learn about and celebrate native knowledge, culture, and the many historic and current contributions of Indigenous peoples. Equally important, it would provide a platform to share historical truths about the genocide and ongoing oppression of Indigenous peoples in the Americas and the work being done towards reconciliation and decolonization. The list of states, counties, and cities who have chosen to make this holiday change grows daily and includes South Dakota, Oregon, Hawaii, Alaska, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Phoenix, Arizona, Santa Fe, New Mexico, Portland, Oregon, Yakima, Washington, <coughs> Seattle, Washington, Minneapolis, Minnesota, St. Paul, Minnesota, Madison, Wisconsin, Belfast, Maine, Newstead, New York, Northampton, Massachusetts, Asheville, North Carolina, Traverse City, Michigan, Red Wing, Minnesota, Grand Rapids, Minnesota, Lawrence, Kansas, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Durango, Colorado, Denver, Colorado, Flagstaff, Arizona, Santa Cruz, California, Berkeley, California, Sebastopol, California, Eugene, Oregon, Olympia, Washington, Bexar County, Texas, and Anadarko, Oklahoma. It is time to add Maine to this list. American children have been routinely taught that Columbus discovered America. However, Columbus never actually arrived on the American mainland. Rather, he landed on Taino land, now known as the Dominican Republic. The voyages of Columbus and other explorers led directly to the enslavement, death by disease, outright slaughter of indigenous peoples, and subsequent oppression that continues to this day. We believe that continuing to honor Columbus is misguided by celebrating brutal and exploitative actions toward First Peoples. The Wabanaki Confederacy tribes have lived here in Maine and surrounding territory for thousands of years. Vital Wabanaki communities greeted the arrival of Europeans in the 1600s. This encounter resulted in the death of 90% of the Wabanakis between 1616 and 1619. In ensuing years and continuing to the present, Wabanakis have been subjected to numerous forms of cultural and physical genocide, including territory taken, spiritual and cultural practices outlawed, languages lost, children removed from their families and their tribes, and forced sterilization. Despite this ongoing assault, Wabanaki peoples in Maine have survived and are actively revitalizing their cultures even as major obstacles and injustices remain. Strong Wabanaki leadership has shown us the inseparable connection between environmental sustainability and indigenous rights. A holiday name change would raise public awareness for the Wabanaki Confederacy, their culture past and present, and their current challenges. Enhanced knowledge of our shared history and the creation of a new relationship based on equity with our indigenous neighbors are crucial to the health and well-being of all Mainers. It is our hope that Indigenous Peoples Day in Maine will foster this vital awareness across our state and in doing so enrich all of our lives. We urge you to vote ought to pass on LD 914 and act to establish Indigenous Peoples Day. 
thank you for your attention. Thank you. Questions? Anyone? Thank you very much, ma'am. Others wishing to speak in favor of this legislation, supporting this legislation? Good morning. My name is Emma Norma Mallory, and I'm from Orono, Maine. I'm here to ask you to support LD914 because it asks us to look at historical truths which we have never acknowledged, truths that are buried deep within ourselves and our white privilege. Columbus sailed to the Americas under the banner of the Doctrine of Discovery, which was penned by Pope Nicholas V in his papal bulls of the 1400s. Here's a key quote from this document. Invade, search out, capture, vanquish, and subdue all Saracens and pagans whatsoever, and their kingdoms, dukedoms, principalities, dominions, possessions, and all movable and immovable goods whatsoever held and possessed by them, and to reduce their persons to perpetual slavery. David Stannard, in his book, American Holocaust, Oxford Press of 1992, states that between 14 and 60 million First Nations people were killed by genocide and from intentional exposure to European diseases during the settlement of this country. He states that these atrocities were systematically carried out and so effective that Hitler used them as a model for his campaigns and his concentration camps. Here are some dates of when we awarded Native Americans some basic rights. 1924, they became American citizens, could leave their reservations and vote. 1934, allowed to establish tribal government. 1968, given the rights to free speech, freedom of the press, the right to assemble, and full rights to a free trial, a fair trial. 1979, awarded religious freedom. 1990, yesterday, allowed to use and study their own languages. And still, there are huge issues with voting, with treaty rights, hunting and fishing rights, and with sovereignty, the right to govern their own lands, islands, and the water surrounding them. James Baldwin has written about white privilege, perhaps better than anyone else, that blind, invisible, supremacist state which encompasses colonialism, racism, entitlement, discrimination, oppression, and misuse of power. He maintains that we, white people, have paid for our white privilege by losing our moral being. We need to look no farther than the last election to know exactly what he's talking about. How much harder, though, it is to see in ourselves and to find what Baldwin called our, quote, mutual obligation to other beings or awakening to truth and taking responsibility for it as a way, perhaps, to begin reparation. Supporting Indigenous People's Day is a step in reclaiming our moral compass. It is a step in beginning to look at how our white privilege has separated us, not only from other people, but from our own hearts and sense of what is right. It is a step in forming collaborative, mutual connections 
with Wabanaki neighbors so that together we can grow toward building respectful and trusting communities which meets the needs of everyone. It is a step in demonstrating that we believe in justice and equity for all. I implore you to support this bill. I feel it is today's moral imperative. Thank you. Questions? Anybody? Thank you. This is Maine Currents on WERU. I'm Amy Brown. A lot of attention is focused on Washington, D.C., but much has also been happening with our state legislature in Augusta this session. Today we're listening in on just a few of the bills that are being considered this week. We return now to a public hearing held earlier today on a bill that would replace Columbus Day with an indigenous people's holiday in the state. Others wishing to speak in support of this legislation. Right up, ma'am. You've tried to come up two or three times. You come on out. Thank you. Uh, good morning, um, Senator Davis, Representative Martin, and other members of the committee. My name is Diane Alterzeski, and I'm from Belfast. In December 2015, Belfast became the first town in Maine to join many other communities that have chosen to honor indigenous people by replacing Columbus Day. <coughs> By decolonizing the calendar, we affirm the truth that Columbus never set foot on the North American continent. As scholars and teachers bring to light the true history of his conquest of Hispaniola, we've learned in no uncertain terms that the people who too often behaved as godless heathens were the Europeans. For all our American children, Columbus Day can only conjure up the pitiless greed, deception, and betrayal that nearly wiped out our First Nations from the face of the earth. Belfast chose instead to celebrate Wabanaki survival. The courage, renewal, and strengthening of tribal culture today is something we deeply admire, especially as its reverence for the natural universe accords with our own. And make no mistake, our children are way out ahead of us in understanding the absurdity of the old holiday. As I talked to young people and gathered signatures, their universal response was, of course. And they showed me that they understood very specifically what was wrong in retaining Columbus Day. What an insult it represents to indigenous citizens. This was brought home to me so strongly in watching The Canary Effect, a documentary that presents the forceful analogy that it would be like expecting Jewish children in Germany to celebrate the birthday of Hitler. It is my hope that the community, that the committee, excuse me, will move forward in unanimity and embrace this awareness of our next generation. Let me join the growing list of cities and states already listed by Kathy, and I have a copy for you here. I won't read it. Um, that does increase daily. Uh, the list reflects a sober assessment of what deserves commemoration in the 21st century. Our shared history, as well as the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, demands that we relate to the tribes respectfully as mutually sovereign nations. Thanks to this bill, the legislature has a chance to begin to reverse the negative litigious patterns that only weary and dis discourage us. Resolving to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day this October 
will be a very good signal to send to all the people of Maine that the perpetuation of a myth is no longer acceptable to us. So let's let a new day begin and a new understanding and spirit of collaboration inform our lives here together in this beautiful place. Thank you. Thank you. Questions? Anybody? Thank you, ma'am. Others wishing to speak in favor of this legislation? Come right up. Senator Davis, Representative Martin, and honorable members of the State and Local Government Committee, my name is Penthia Burns. I live in Lewiston. <clears throat> I'm a lifelong Mainer growing up in central Maine. I loved studying history. I have been humbled in my adulthood to learn things I never knew and to unlearn things that were just plain wrong. I was ignorant of Wabanaki lives and experiences with the early colonizers, some of whom were my ancestors. As a non-native citizen of Maine, I stand here today to ask you to support LD 914, <clears throat> joining with uh, the other states and municipalities that you've heard about already. Christopher Columbus initiated, in addition to, to helping to bring uh, good things to other parts of the world, he also initiated the transatlantic slave trade with the, uh, the people in the island where he landed. He orchestrated heinous acts of conquest, theft, torture, and murder. He's responsible for the complete genocide of the people who inhabited the island that he mistook for India. Do we even know the name of the people who he destroyed, who he described as so full of love and without greed? This is a history for us to repair, not to celebrate. And while we cannot undo history, we can stop pretending that genocide didn't happen here. We can stop honoring the initiation of that genocide every October. What we honor is a reflection of who we are. So the question is, who do we want to be? Wabanaki people do not need us to be their savior, but we can be more understanding, more willing to learn, and open to the ways that we can repair the harm that we have done. We can resist inflicting further harm or imposing additional burdens on Wabanaki people. We can recognize and surrender our privilege. Celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day rather than Columbus Day is a simple, more just, and honorable step for us to take. I urge you to support LD 914. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Questions? Seeing none, thank you, ma'am. Anyone else wishing to speak in favor of supporting this legislation? Good morning, Senator Davis, Representative Martin, and the Committee on Local and State Governments. I am Reverend Carrie Johnson. I serve as Minister of the Unitarian Universalist Community Church of Augusta, and I, and I am the co-convener of the Decolonizing Faith Project. I am here today to urge you to vote ought to pass on LD914, an act to establish Indigenous Peoples Day. Two years ago, the Capital Area Multi-Faith Association led a Thanksgiving interfaith service titled Turning Toward Truth, Forging a New Understanding of Thanksgiving. 
In this service, we sought to dismantle the distorted history and American mythology of Christopher Columbus by speaking truth to the conquest, terrorization, and genocide of the indigenous people. We spoke truth to the role of the church by naming the devastating impact of the 15th century papal bulls known as the doctrine of discovery. We spoke truth to the continued impact these doctrines have on tribal sovereignty and the rights of indigenous people. I ask you to take the same steps in turning toward truth by speaking honestly about our shared national history. With the end of Columbus Day, we acknowledge the conquest of a people and their land. With the end of Columbus Day, we are saying no to the glorification of the American story of racism, domination, colonization, and genocide. I enthusiastically support the establishment of Indigenous Peoples Day and urge you to vote ought to pass. The establishment of Indigenous Peoples Day commemorates the history and present day story of Indigenous people, their resistance, their, and their resilience. It is one small, tiny step toward turning in turning toward right relationship and repairing the harm. It is an opportunity to turn the corner and begin once again to build bridges between the state of Maine and the Wabanaki people. Establishing Indigenous Peoples Day is the moral imperative of our time, and it is simply the right thing to do. Thank you. Questions? Anyone? Thank you for your testimony. Others wishing to speak in favor of this legislation, supporting this legislation? Good morning, Senator Davis and members of the committee. I'm the Reverend Dr. Mike Johnson, minister of the Allen Avenue Unitarian Universalist Church in Portland, Maine, and a member of the Decolonizing Faith Project here in Maine. When our country celebrates Columbus Day, we celebrate the start of 500 years of conquest, disease, theft of the land, racism, genocide, and destruction of indigenous cultures. As a student of colonization, I'm saddened and horrified at these historic origins of our country. And as a clergy person, I'm saddened and ashamed of the role of the churches in that process. If we seek to be true to our deepest values, we must begin to acknowledge the full history that has preceded us. If we seek to be true to our deepest values, we must, we must seek ways to restore the relationship between indigenous peoples and those who settled this country. One way to honor that relationship is to take our lead from our Wabanaki neighbors in how best to honor the pain of the past and create a more respectful and beneficial relationship for the future. It's time we paid tribute to the people who were here first, who are still here, and who are leading the struggle for a sustainable planet. Let us join with many other states, counties, and cities across the nation in transforming Columbus Day into Indigenous Peoples Day. This step on a path to a more equitable relationship is crucial to the health and well-being of all Mainers. I urge you to vote ought to pass on LD 914. Thank you. Thank you. Questions? Comments? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Others who wish to speak in favor of this legislation? 
Uh, Willie Spezaway. My name is June Sapiel. I'm from the Scott Nation. Um, and I don't have anything written down for you because I speak from the heart. So um, I, I just want to clarify something. We are not conquested people. Um, we are uh, not have been, nor will we ever be conquested. Um, and so I'm here to ask you to support this bill to replace... Um, to replace Columbus Day and um, I do know that um, hundreds of thousands of um, <coughs> my ancestors were killed <coughs> and um, we um, currently have an enrollment of uh, 2,500 members in my in my tribe um, and that's fairly small and um, when Columbus you know came over here when the Europeans came over here and and killed um, you know 250,000 of my family um, created um, you know created this this um, this land that that was created um, we're still here we're still practicing our culture um, we're still learning our language and um, we stand strong and we ask that that you all um, take into account the truth that hasn't been spoken in all these hundreds of years and the, um, the untruths that are still being taught in public schools. And um, we don't have a really um, a strong written history. We have a really strong oral history and, um, of, of our tribe and what has happened. So I would love to see that um, you know, brought to light and shared with all the communities and the truth of our side to be to be shown. Um, I, I want to thank all the allies and friends that are here today to support this. And um, I'm really proud to know like each and every one of you. And I, I just really thank you for your efforts, even in your pain and suffering um, that you stand here and, and try to, um, you know, to right some wrongs. And I'm really proud to be standing here um, as, as a Penobscot Nation member and able to st stand in front of all of you and to speak my truth. And I, I just urge you all to please pass this bill and um, you know know that, that we want to work in a good way with all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Questions? Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else wishing to speak in support of this legislation? Okay. Anyone wishing to speak in opposition to this legislation? No one? Anyone wishing to speak neither for nor against this legislation? Seeing no one, we will close the public hearing. The work session will be one week from today. And thank you all for coming. That public hearing on LD 914, an act to establish Indigenous Peoples Day, was held 
by the Legislature's Committee on State and Local Government earlier today. More information about all of the proposed legislation that you heard about on today's program, as well as contact information for your representatives, can be found at legislature.maine.gov. And as he ended with, the work session will be held next week. There's still an opportunity to put in public comment, if you wish, by writing. And that information is available at legislature.maine.gov as well. Among the other issues the legislature was considering this week was the seemingly never-ending battle over the rewrite of Maine's mining regulations in favor of industry, an issue that we've been covering here on WERU since it first came up several years ago. The latest public hearing was held earlier this week. Tune in to Radioactive on Thursday at 4.30 for a full report on that. Also, be sure to catch tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock our other locally produced public affairs programming that happens in our 10 o'clock block. Tomorrow will be Pet Sounds 2.0 with Dr. John Hunt. He'll be discussing homing pigeons, how to care for and train them with Connie Tuller. That's tomorrow at 10 o'clock here on WERU on Pet Sounds 2.0. And Friday in the 10 o'clock block, we have Coastal Conversations hosted this month by Paul Anderson. That's a program that's done in cooperation with the Sea Grant. And their topic will be aquaculture questions about its economic and ecological sustainability. That's Friday morning at 10 o'clock. And uh, you've been listening to Maine Currents here on WERU. I'm Amy Brown. Join me here every Wednesday at 4 o'clock for independent local news, views, and culture. You can send story ideas and suggestions to news at weru.org. And that's really the best way to send any suggestions for any of our programs. We can forward them along to the producers of other programs if they aren't a fit here for Maine Currents. So remember that email address, news at weru.org. You can download our past shows and subscribe to our podcasts at weru.org. Democracy Now! is coming up next, followed by Jazz Straight Ahead with Larry Stahlberg here on your community radio station, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. And just a quick note as we're wrapping up, are you a WERU member? We're hoping to welcome 100 new members, or we were hoping to welcome 100 more new members by the end of March, and we have 30 left to go, so we're getting really close to that goal. New members are an essential part of the sustainability of WERU, and a donation in any amount, whatever works for you, makes you a WERU member, so we're going to put in a pitch now for you to call 469-6600 during weekday business hours and become a member, join the WERU family, just have 30 more new members to go to meet that goal. So give us a call. I'll answer the phone after I get out of here, or you can call tomorrow during weekday business hours, 469-6600. And thank you to everyone for supporting community radio and independent media here on WERU. Stay tuned. Support for WERU comes